1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. Just picked up from last week. Last week we're in 15 to 17. This week we're in 18 through 23. And we find John doing the exact same thing that I seek to do every week. He's just reminding his readers that you know the truth. I'm not telling you anything new. It's not anything super spectacular that I'm, I'm talking about. It's just a the steady things that you need to know. And so let me, let me read this for you this morning. And I want you even to think about, and the title of my message is, You Know the Truth. This is an affirmation from John to his readers. You know the truth. And as I read through this, I want you to just kind of even think about, okay, so how is John telling them that they know the truth? They know the truth. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. I trust you can see there, even as he talked about, you know this truth. You know it. You heard it in verse 18. You know it's the last hour in verse 18. In verse 20, you have all knowledge. In verse 21, from which I derive the phraseology for my message this morning, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. So the dominating idea of all these verses is you know the truth. And and what John is doing here, he's not bringing out anything new for those he's writing to. They knew everything he's saying, but... But there is something where with steadiness he's saying, this is true. Hold on to this. Bank on this. And trust in this. See, because there were problems, I I think, in circumstances that were were shaking them a bit. There were people rising up in rebellion against Jesus. That's the idea of verse 18 and the Antichrist. There were people, verse 19, who'd, who'd left their fellowship. Once they were in it, now they left. And they're like, why are they leaving? They're leaving because some deceivers are, are teaching them but, and, and leading them astray. And they're, they're thinking, okay, so our, our church size is shrinking. What, what now? And, and there are people trying to pull them away from the faith. We, we didn't look, but look even at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Uh, these are trying to pull you away. And John is saying, don't be pulled away. Stand where you always have been before because you know the truth. He's reminding them that nothing has changed. God's still in his throne. All that he taught is true. And don't let people come in and shake you in this way. Because you know the truth. And, and maybe you're this, here this morning and, and some difficulty in your life has come that's, that's shaking you a little bit. Like, like maybe some people have come to persuade you out of the way. Per- persuade you from the path of, of trusting in Christ and, and loving others. That may, maybe some people... Um, You've read something on the internet or something that, that cast doubt on the Bible. You, you watch maybe one of those five-minute videos on the internet, and it's like, oh, I never thought about it. And maybe some doubts are coming into your mind about Christ, about the Bible. Maybe you're, you're facing some trials in your life. 
some difficulties at home, maybe with your children, or maybe that's kind of like, maybe shaking you a little bit. Maybe, maybe the political environment shaking you today. Like, oh no, what if this person gets elected? Or what if this person, we really need to have this? Or, or maybe just the moral decay in America that, that in the last decade, really, or 20 years or whatever, the infiltration of homosexual marriage into mainstream. Or the um, legalization of marijuana, which doesn't help at all. Many people. Or the persuasive, uh, 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 persuasive, just the prevalence of pornography in our day and age. Maybe that's causing you some concern. You say, well, what's life going to be like for my children and my grandchildren? Maybe you're just like, whoa. Or maybe you're, you're simply growing dull in your faith. Just, just doubting whether it's worth it all. And I guess I would hear it say that you know the truth. Let's come back to the truth. Let's believe the truth. Let's embrace it. And let's stand on it. Let's go back to the basic realities of the Christian faith. Despite what's going on around us, none of that should surprise us. Because we know the truth. First point, here's, here's one thing we know about. We know about Antichrist. You know about Antichrist. Well, you should know about Antichrist. Verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, with these words, we delve deep into the mysteries of end times. We delve into words like last hour and Antichrist, right? When is this last hour going to be? And how long until till Christ comes and establishes the end? And who exactly is the Antichrist? And what will he be like? And what will he do? And, and how will he turn people towards following him? And what will the church be like? And what's persecution going to be like? Now, now all these are difficult questions. And here's the interesting thing. Whatever the answer to those questions, those in John's day knew full well the answers that were sufficient. Look what he says there in verse 18. <clears throat> is the last hour, as you have heard, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. You've heard that Antichrist is coming. You know that Antichrist is coming. And, and he's just saying there that you, you know it. Apparently, they, they knew that somehow. And in fact, they, they knew something further. They knew at the end that the coming of Antichrist is a, um, is a sign that the end has come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. It's because Antichrists are coming, which we know is coming. And because they're coming, we've seen them, these Antichrists, we know that it's the last hour. So they knew about when the last hour was. They could discern that. They could discern these Antichrists. And I just say this, we know about Antichrist. And, and, and I'm sure that all these, these Antichrists, whatever these are, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I'm sure that these were shaking the people up. Like, is this, is this Messiah thing real? <clears throat> or is Judaism real? Or is Neo-Gnosticism real? Or, or what's, what's real? Is this, is this real? And he's saying, no, no, no. Be firm. Be steady. You know about Antichrist coming. That's going to happen in the end. Many will set themselves against Jesus. In fact, that's what Antichrist means. Anti-Christ. Anti-against Christ Messiah. Anti-Messiah. Anti-Jesus. Against Jesus. You can say it in any way you want. So even you can read this. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist, the one against Jesus, is coming. So now many of those who are against Jesus 
have come. Therefore, you know it's the last hour. That's kind of how it would, how it would read. Or, or you can basically get the de- definition of an antichrist in verse 22. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. The antichrist is the denier of Jesus. No, he's not true. He's against Jesus. And there are many who are against Christ in those days. By the way, many against Christ in our day. In fact, we saw in verse 26 that these people are trying to deceive you and and trying to pull you away. We catch that also in chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. These false prophets, of course, would be antichrists because they would be against Christ. He said, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ come in the flesh is from God. And then in verse 3, he says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So they, they knew Antichrist was coming. Antichrist was in the world already. The spirit was. And look, turn over to Second John, verse 7. It says this, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. John's readers were very familiar with the antichrist. The topic of antichrist had been taken up nowadays by many since John's day. And... Um, even you think about, when you think about Antichrist, maybe before coming in this morning, what did you think about? Who's the Antichrist? Who's the Antichrist? And, and you know what? In the early church, the Antichrist were the, the, Rome, the Roman Empire, the Roman emperors, Nero, or Diocletian. These that, that set themselves against Jesus, commanded people to bow to them as gods. Or the time of the Reformation, it was, it was all about the Pope is the Antichrist. Kind of the Pope, maybe not necessarily as a person, but whatever person was in there, in the office at that point, because the, the Pope is the vicar of Christ, the, the, the epitome of Jesus on the earth at the time and still is true today. And so whether that be Pope Leo or Pope Gregory, that's the Antichrist, the one who sets himself up to be like Jesus, but really is, is not preaching the gospel and is not like Jesus at all. Or, or in our day, any rising world leader oftentimes we'll say, oh, there's, there's Antichrist. And uh, Adolf Hitler, people have thought Adolf Hitler's the Antichrist. Or Mikhail Gorbachev, right? it was Mark that's distinguishing there on his forehead, his birthmark he had on his forehead. Or even Ronald Reagan has been accused of being the Antichrist. And people are always trying to identify this, this single individual who, who is seeking to, to unify the world under his power and set himself up most strongly against Christ and against his church. And yet what's often missed is that Antichrist isn't so much a single man as it is anybody who sets themselves against Jesus. In fact, did you know that the word, this is new to me, okay, so you do learn something new at church. Uh, the word Antichrist appears four times in the Bible, okay? It appears in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, and Second John 7, all of which I've read for you. It's never mentioned in the book of Revelation. The Revelation is often where people think about, hey, the Antichrist, it's there. 
ought to maybe shape your mind a little bit about how much we should think about the Antichrist. Um, if there's anything we see from John's writings, though, it's, is that there's not one Antichrist. There are lots of Antichrists. In, in fact, in, in most of these verses, he's describing plural Antichrists. Chapter 2, verse 18. Antichrist is coming. There's a singular. But here, many Antichrists have come. Or in chapter 22, who is it? Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Anybody who denies that Jesus is Christ is the Antichrist, according to John. Or chapter 4, verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus, not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Every spirit that doesn't confess God is the spirit of the Antichrist in the world already. Or chapter 2 John, verse 7, look at this. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, lots of deceivers, lots of people, and those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And that, even though that's a singular, that such a one is referring back to everyone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And so one of the things you learn here is that antichrist in the Bible is is very general, very broad for anybody who sets himself up against Jesus. The Antichrist, the best definition, I think, is verse 22, as I've said. He who denies the Father and the Son. I mean, that's the epitome. The, the Antichrist is the one who denies the Christ. In fact, the, 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 the most basic, pinnacle, uh, uh, what, what do you say, outward expression of someone who's who's a Christian, a believer in Christ, is that they believe in Christ. They've been born of God. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you've been born of God. That is, you're a Christian. God has made you alive. He has regenerated you. He has changed you. You are a new creation if you believe that Jesus is Christ. But if you're anti-Christ, you don't believe that Jesus is Christ. What's true? You're not born of God. You're not a Christian. You're not a, a new creature. In fact, this antichrist really divides the line. Either you are anti-Christ or you are pro-Christ. Pro meaning for. Either you are against Jesus or you are with Jesus. And that's really the dividing line that he's, he's talking about here. Now, that's not to say that there won't ever be a single world ruler um, before the, the end comes of who's going to rise up and, you know, maybe say a, a Hitler or Gorbachev or, you know, some American president. Or, it's, it's not to say that. But I mean, you read Revelation and, and you can find that, though it's not as clear when you just say Antichrist. Antichrist is not in Revelation at all. Though there is emphasis upon this beast that comes up that is some kind of political ruler and leader, certainly. But, but here, check, check this out. Think about this. Is that um, when you take the word Antichrist, what happens when people start thinking about the Antichrist? I think about um, um, nervousness. I think about fear. I think about trepidation. I think about speculation i think about being alarmed i think about trouble and and what's what's john trying to do when he mentions antichrist he's saying hey of course antichrists are coming you know but but stand firm because you know this is the truth like don't don't let the mention of antichrist lead you to speculation and fear and trial and and trouble 
but let you be secure because you know, of course, there are going to be people against Christ. Jesus even talked about false Christs coming up. Of course, we, we ought not to be alarmed or surprised. It's what we ought to expect. In fact, that's what happens in the last hour. Chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. This is the last time. And John has just said, chapter 2, verse 17, we looked at last week, right? The world is passing away. As the world is passing away, it makes sense then that it is the last hour, what he's, what he's talking about. And this is only confirmed when you see all these antichrists coming on the scene. Verse 18b. And surprisingly, this term last hour also occurs in the Bible only once. It's just right here in, in verse 18. Now John... The best way to interpret this is to think about the Gospel of John. Jesus often speaks about my hour, my hour, my hour. Just speaks about a time when it's coming to, con- to, uh, um, to a climax, his life, when he's going to die upon the cross. And so, likewise, the last hour is the time in which the world is going to come to a climax. Just that, that right, right at the end is what I think that the last hour is talking about. And it's certainly not talking about a literal hour. Because John, as he wrote, knew that he wasn't doing an email which gets to you in seconds, microseconds, milliseconds, okay? But he's writing a letter that's got to be taken to somebody. It's going to take more than an hour to get there. So he's, but he's talking the same way that Paul and Peter spoke about the last days. Paul said this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people as these. That that is appearance of godliness. They profess godliness, but they're not. Just go home and watch them and, and they're not. It says avoid hypocrites is who we're supposed to avoid. But it is the last hour, and as the last hour comes, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It just makes sense that you see more antichrists coming, more people against Jesus. And it's, it's just been the history of the world. That's where it is. More people are against Jesus today, I think, than ever before. That's how the last hours, the last days, that's how Paul spoke, that's how Peter spoke. Know this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following after their own lusts. Now, it's interesting that we have a problem that John and his readers don't have. Because for them, they were like right on the cusp. It is the last hour. And I think many of them were expecting the world to end soon. Next day, the next month, the next year. They didn't think about 2,000 years. We got the problem we got to deal with. How is it that the last hour has lasted for 2,000 years? And I think the best I can do is continue on in Second Peter 3. One day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years one day. Just God in His grace, in His love, not desiring for any to perish, but willing, desiring for people to come to repentance, Second Peter 3.9. God's given 2,000 years of opportunity for repentance. It's the reality. We want to live today like it is the last hour. You remember in Revelation 22 when Revelation ends, um, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And John says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And apparently what Jesus meant when he said soon is a little bit different than we think that he is going to mean when he says soon. Soon has been a several thousand years. But in every generation that's lived, we can always say that Jesus is coming soon. And we don't know, soon might mean another 2,000 years. 
soon might mean a lot sooner than that. But I just say this, though. Do you long for his coming? Are you waiting for his coming? Do you know that as people rise up against Christ, that's exactly what's going to happen? Foretold, prophesied, and John's readers heard of it. We should know about it. So don't worry, don't fear, don't fret when you see right antichrists. Just know, yep, that's totally in God's plan. People setting themselves up against Messiah. That's how it goes. Second point. You know the truth. You know about Antichrist. You know about apostasy. That's verse 19. That's what we read about. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And surely John wrote this because of the experience of his readers. And I am sure you've experienced this well. You've experienced those who you used to fellowship with. That you were with the church every Sunday. That uh, you were engaged in Bible study with during the week. That you were engaged in, in God-centered conversations. That you saw people trying to have a, a God-centered home and yet they left. Now when I say they left, I'm not talking about leaving one church for another church. That's a difficult process it's difficult for those leaving. It's difficult for those staying. Um, but at least they seek out another fellowship that might meet their needs. And the reason it's painful is because we're not good enough. People are, there's something that we did that we can't reconcile as Christians. And that's painful. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about leaving the faith. He's talking about leaving the congregation and not coming back to any church, not seeking any church at all is what he's talking about. He's talking about apostasy. Now, if you're like me, faces and names come to mind. And I, I encourage that. Just think about faces and names of those people who you used to know in church who left. And you say then, well, what happened to them? Because now they're, they're far from God. Where they used to be here, and now they're, they're there, and they're not walking with Christ. They don't have any interest in God. How, how are we supposed to think about those people? And John tells us that we're supposed to think about them, that they were not of us. So in other words, they, they were with us, but they were imposters, if you will. They weren't really of us. That's what, what John says. Oh, oh, they may have looked like one of us. They may have acted and talked like one of us. But John says, no, they, they weren't like one of you. They, you might think about a spy. They were like a spy. Now, not with the, the whole covert you know, desire to trip people up kind of spy, but it's the spy like... A spy will come in and infiltrate and nobody will know that it's the spy. They'll like, like think that they're just an, a normal person like everybody else and then only later, maybe years later when they go back and something explodes or they get captured or they, he was a spy and they go like, oh, I had no idea. And so like that, that they were not of us is what he's talking about here, that, that people are coming in and they're pretending to be Lovers of Jesus. And I should never be surprised how, how well people can pretend to love Christ. I mean, Christian life, in some regards, is fairly easy to imitate. It just requires a couple hours on Sunday morning, consistently. Or, you know, you can come and, and go as you, you want. But mo- most, most often there, and, um, basically, it requires some kind of sanctified conversation. And that's about it. Lots of people can play that game. Um, in fact, the bigger the church the easier the game to play. Which is why bigger churches can get bigger because more people playing the game can come in and just, just play the game. But a smaller church like us, it's kind of difficult to hide. Which, you know, that's a good thing. 
It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You can't play the game. But some can even play the game in a small church. Come to church a couple times a week. Involved in church. Serve the people of the church. Pray in public. Even preach. I mean, I think about Judas, right? Do you realize the 11 disciples had no clue that he was an infiltrator, a, a false one, a pretender. They, they had no clue about that. And, and, and here, was, here was Judas helping to shepherd the crowds, right? Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay, get, get in the orders of 50. I'm sure he just figured, get in orders of 50, about 100. Get, you're getting a big group here. And he's, he's organizing these groups and things like that. And he's taking the bread from Jesus. He's distributing it. It's a miracle. He saw people healed in an unbelievable way. And none of his disciples knew that he didn't believe he kept the money bag and none of his disciples suspected at all that he was pilfering the money bag. Judas then went out and betrayed Jesus. And when he did, none of them suspected a thing of what he was doing. But Jesus, who knew all hearts, he knew. And at one point, listen to Jesus talking with his many disciples. He says this. He says, there are some of you who do not believe. John 6, verse 64 he, they're called disciples, meaning they're just following Jesus, okay? They're, 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 they're going His way. And He says, there are many of you, some of you, He says, who do not believe. That's more than just Judas. Out of all the many, He said, there are some of you who do not believe. And then parenthetically, John adds, for Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knew that Judas was a sham. And Jesus knew in the large crowd who the shams were. But guess what? Nobody else knew. And that's a lot of situations a lot of times where we're in. We don't know. But John says, here's a way you do know. You do know by looking at those who went out. They went out from us, but they were not of us. That is, while they were with us, they were not of us. Because, look at verse 19, if they had been of us, they would have continued. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. See, their departure was actually a sign that they are not of us. Because if they had been of us, they, would have been, they wouldn't have left. They would have stayed true and remained too, true to Christ. Because here's the reality that John is pointing out. A genuine believer will persevere until the end. And that's taught all over the Bible. A genuine believer remained faithful to the end. The doctrine is called the perseverance of the saints. The saints will persevere. Or the preservation of the saints, that God will keep the saints. That's very true, right? The, they're in my hand, and no one can take them out of my hand. That's what Jesus says. John 6 or John 10, I forget what it is. Now, certainly, right? Once saved, always saved. Absolutely. But Jesus spoke about being born again, and Paul spoke about regeneration and being a new creature when you believe in Christ. And, and there's this change, this, this eyes being opened, but, but the Bible never talks about unregeneration, like God has changed you, and then, oop, no, He changes you back. Or your new creation, nope, nope, you didn't believe, so now you go back to an old creation. Never talks about that. But the best way to explain those who desert from the faith and their apostasy is that they never were there to begin with because those who are 
will endure until the end. And it's the endurance where you get your insurance that, yes, I am a, a follower of Christ. Remember, First John was written for assurance purposes. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's written so you can be confident that you have eternal life. And here in verse 19, we see the obedience test. There's the obedience test, the love test, the doctrine test. The, the obedience test says this, are you following in the ways of God? And the obedience test says following in the ways of God is to be among the fellowship of God's people. And if you're among the fellowship of God's people, you can have assurance that you, yes, you believe in Christ, you have eternal life. But those who go out have no assurance. In fact, those who go out show that they weren't ever before. And when you endure and remain true, especially, catch this, among the deceivers and the antichrist who are trying to deceive you, that's, that's when most you can, we can have faith. Um, Darren read from Matthew 24 today. A perfect passage talking about how, how persecution is going to come. How it's going to be difficult. How they're going to be false Christ. How they're going to try to lead you astray. And how you're going to be delivered over to death. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead astray. And the love of many will grow cold. And Jesus says this, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That is, it's the one who perseveres through that who's going to be saved. It's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And it's the one who endures to the end who is, who is true. As Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 says, right, but uh, let, me, let me just look that up here. Hang on. Once I start, I'll be okay. Hebrews three fourteen. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm until the end. So in other words, if today we are, are, today we have come to share in Christ, if we hold to the end. So if we're holding until the end, we can be assured that today we have come to share in Christ. And that's, that's what we're talking about. That's, that's what John is talking about. The one who endures to the end to be saved. The one who endures to the end demonstrates that he is true today. Then that's not to say let your guard down. Lots of people believe this. Once saved, always saved. Like, oh, he prayed a prayer. And now, where's he living today? Well, you say that person wasn't saved because the one who genuinely does pray and trust will continue. God will keep him and protect him. And you shouldn't let your guard down. You should show all diligence. Look, look again at Second John. This is a great parallel passage to describe. It says, verse 7, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Okay, so now comes the application. And this is an application to all of us. We've got deceivers out there. We've got antichrists. We've got secular media. We've got all this stuff trying to pull us away. And he says, watch yourselves, verse 8, so that you not lose what we have worked for, but we win a full reward. And everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You, you go on ahead, you go to something else, you don't have God. You stay and abide in the teaching of the gospel and you stay right there. But you watch yourselves with all diligence. You pursue God and pursue Him with reckless abandon saying, I'm going to follow Christ until the end. That's a sign of a believer, by the way. Who has this zeal and desire to pursue after God. Apostasy, falling away is a sign of unbelief. But those who are in the fold should have assurance to knowing that I'm still here, I have eternal life. All right, you know about apostasy, verse 19. You know about antichrist, verse 18. Thirdly, you know about anointing. This comes in verse 20. 
But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And in these words, probably again, bring, bring John's readers back to what was happening in their congregation. Deceivers have come. So we've read about in verse 26, we've read about in 2 John 7, I just read for you. False prophets have arisen, chapter 4, verse 1. And John is writing now to those who stayed, who stayed true, have not followed after their own ways and their own ideas. Um, now some have gone away, verse 19. But John's writing to those who stayed, he's giving them the assurance that they don't have to follow in their way. They don't have to be deceived by what they're what they are saying because... They have an anointing by the Holy One and they all have knowledge. They all know because they've been anointed by the Holy One. And this knowledge is enough for them to discern what is true and what is false. And they can continue to go in the true way just as they have heard from the beginning. Now today, it's very interesting, right? Just as Antichrist is a word that kind of has been captured out of First John, so today is the word anointing. Anointing has been captured out of the the thrust of First John, because often this is a word used as a care, of a charismatic leader. And I use charismatic in a dual sense there. I use charismatic in a, in a theological perspective. Oftentimes, you know, the anointing comes with, with God and the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, and all this kind of stuff. But anointing also, charismatic also has to do with the, the fact this man's a leader. And he's charismatic. He's, 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 he's such that um, many people follow this guy. And the anointing word often uses is used of this charismatic teacher has some kind of special connection with God. See, I'm anointed and I get my, my word from the Lord. And, and oftentimes this word from the Lord trumps the Bible because uh, people will look to the anointed one to see what God has said because God talks to the anointed one. So let's follow him rather than following the old tried and true path rather than following the word of God. And furthermore, this anointed one, once he says something, it's true. It doesn't matter what the Bible says because this is God's revelation today, right now. Not what was written thousands of years ago. And so he can, he can trump. And, and there are times where, where this anointing can, can exert power on a congregation. The leader wants his way. I wish, I wish I was charismatic sometimes. <laughs> I just say, I'm the anointed one. You just gotta listen to me. And God told me that we need to go here, right? But, but we're a congregation, right? We're, we're a body, and we need to do what's right, and we need, to, we need to go out together. And sometimes doing the right thing is not the thing that I want to do, but how easy to play that anointing card. And, and on top of that, First Chronicles 16, 22, Psalm 105, 15, touch not the Lord's anointed. Don't you dare criticize me, because I'm right. I got the anointing. If I had that, I could have such a grip on all your lives. I could just tell you, this is what God wants for you. By the way, my, that would be terrible for me. I just uh, Some people, power hungry, want that, would like that, um, and they do that. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and I would not doubt at all that John was facing... Some people who were saying, I have the anointing, look at follow me, follow me into my ways, because they're coming up with some new teachings. And um, I've been the anointed by the Lord. I do think that's probably a similar, similar thing. But is, isn't it curious that when John, though, talks about anointing, he talks about everybody has the anointing? It's not just one individual, it's all of us. In fact, that is the emphasis, right? Verse 20, 
But you, that's the plural, right? You all have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. You all know, you all have this anointing. This isn't something special that, that I have. It's not for the select few. It's for the all who believe. We all have this anointing. Now, it's difficult to know exactly what this anointing is. Anointing is right where you pour oil right upon, upon the high priest, right? And it, it, it kind of comes down with precious oil upon the robes. And now it's like brotherly unity. What a wonderful picture that is. Psalm 133. And the anointing is where you set some things apart. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. Um, but, but surely it's not talking about some physical, not wall had oil point poured upon us. Some might say, well, it's your baptism which that comes about. It could refer to the Holy Spirit who comes into our life or just the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, John, Jesus promised to the disciples that uh, when he left, the Holy Spirit would come to them and would teach them and guide them and lead them in all truth, is what he said in John 16, verse 13. He says this, he says, uh, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And several times Jesus said that in John. He says, I'm going to go, the Spirit's going to come, and he's going to illumine you. And I think that's what's talking about how the Scriptures were written, because the Spirit was coming, especially upon the disciples, to remember everything. But in a similar way, I think the Spirit comes upon us with this anointing that I was talking about. But this anointing might just be, be with, with God's Word that, that we have. Or it might be the renewed mind that comes with regeneration. But whatever it means, it means that God has given us and granted us a knowledge that we don't need to follow the whims of every, any false teacher or antichrist who claims a superior knowledge. Don't let anyone say, well, I know, and you don't know. Just trust me, follow me in this. No, follow where it is right to go, because we all have knowledge. In fact, look at how extensive this knowledge is, 26 and 27. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, these people trying to pull you away. Verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. His anointing teaches you about everything. There, there's nothing where you need some special teacher to come in and, and give you some special knowledge that you can't get anywhere else from except that anointed teacher. Well, the question that comes to my mind, well, what's the use of pastors and teachers then? <laughs> I might as well just pack up and, and go home because you all have knowledge and you don't you don't need me anymore and so i'm just I'm, no 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 that's not how it is because ephesians four eleven speaks about how god gave some as pastors and some as evangelists right pastors and teachers to shepherd the the church of god there are are people that god has given to the church to shepherd the church to teach the church with those gifts those gifts aren't aren't useless um but so verse 20, how does that fit? Well, I think the gifts basically um, help are helped and enabled by verse 20 that says that you, you have knowledge, but teachers guide you in that knowledge. And, and verse 20 not only guides the usefulness of their gifts because I can teach and you all got the anointing so you know, but it also gives insurance to me that I know you guys know and so I don't have to worry necessarily about you you're following into error because I know that you'll go the the path of truth. But here's, here's what it also says. A pastor's usefulness comes when his message is God's message because that's what's going to resonate in your hearts is God's message. And, and if I start saying something that's not God's message, it's going to be like, no, that's not right. That's not right. But 
And so I can get into God's message and I, then you're going to like resonate with it. You're going to say, yes, that's it. Yes, that's it. And then I know that my job is, is made easier because you're resonating with that and you're coming along with that. And, and you know, church family, how I come week after week after week looking for the original meaning that John wrote to his original hearers. What did he mean and how did they understand it? And now then, let's take that and try to apply it to us. Because I so want my message to be exactly what God's message is. And, and you all who've been here for a long time, just know that just week in, week out, it's always just modeling how to study the Bible, modeling how to dig, modeling how to, how to look at that and, and, and get things out of there. You can go home and be like noble Bereans and see if everything that I said was true. You can take exception to what I said. I've had people say that before, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, well, maybe I was over... Over too much from that. Yeah, maybe that's that's not quite right. But for the, I just I my message title this morning. You know the truth that was taken right from verse twenty one. You know it. You know the truth, and so that's exactly what I'm saying to you. Last week, chapter two, verse fifteen. My message: Do not love the world. That's the thrust there, and we just go on again and again. It just my my messages are trying to get in God's word because I know that that's where the most effective ministry is when I. I just get on God's freeway and ride along God's word. It's a lot harder if I, I get off and try to ride my own path. And there's a reason why our small groups are looking at the text that's going to be preached. It, it really gives, to, it gives you confidence to say, oh, yep, we looked at that, and Steve, yep, that's a, it was Steve or Darren or Phil or anyone else. Just, yep, that's exactly what that says. Yep, he just, there it is. Rather than saying, because you can have two responses. Either one, you can look at the text and say, wow, that was really good, but I don't know how. I never would have gotten that. That's like a bad message. Okay? It's only if you can say, yeah, if given enough time and given enough work and given enough effort, I could have done exactly what Steve did. <laughs> right on. That's exactly what we're aiming for. And that's what you see that. You have confidence week in, week out, the small groups of just interpreting the Bible that you can do that. And I have no fear just kind of putting that out there and saying, this is the text I'm going to deal with and we're going to... We're just going to deal with that. And I want you to, I, I, I appreciate that. Looking ahead for help with that. But also it provides accountability for me, lest I get off on some path. I'm just going to stay the tried and true word of God. Preach what you can see in God's word. Now, it might be that there's a depth that you didn't see before. It might be like, oh, I, I didn't realize that Antichrist only four times. I didn't realize that was in the book of Revelation. You start putting those things together. But you could have. If you'd have just taken out a commentary like I did this week, you could have done that. You could have figured out all that stuff. Um, but that's what my calling to you is. Nothing more than, than to tell you what God has already, already told you. But that's, isn't my job just to remind you of what God has said? Kind of where it comes back full circle. And I just know that as I am right, my exhortations will ring in your heart because you've been anointed and you all have knowledge and you all can resonate with that. Well, here you go. You'll know the truth. And um, that's what verse 21 is saying. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. And uh, in many ways, that's why I preach to you. I preach to you not because you don't know the truth, but I preach to you because you know the truth and because no lie is of the truth. When Paul was, was talking about going to Rome, he so longed to go to Rome to preach the gospel to the saints there. He so longed to remind them of the glories of Jesus. And so that's why, why I preach. I preach not because you're ignorant, but I preach because you do know the truth. All right, finally, really quickly, 
um, right at the end. Verses 21 through 23. You know about Antichrist, verse 18. You know about apostasy, verse 20. You know about anointing, verse 20. Um, now, you know about Jesus, 21 through 23. What better place to end than about with Christ? I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And this is the truth about Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. That's straight out of verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Christ, that is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One who came to save us from our sins. Jesus is that very One, and the liar is the One who denies that. The liar is the Antichrist, if you will, the One who is against Jesus. And the one who's against Jesus is basically against Jesus and the Father. And there's implications there about Jewish people. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, it denies then, denies the Father and the Son. They're antichrists because they haven't taken the Son. Because, verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You deny the Son... You deny the Father, because they are one and the same in the Trinity, certainly. But they are inseparable. The Father and Son are inseparable. But if you confess the Son, you have the Father also. So I hope you see where, where that goes. So, so you take a Jewish person who denies the Son, they deny the Father also. You take a, a Muslim who denies Jesus, and he's, he's denying the Father also. Allah isn't Jehovah God. They're not the same. They're different. Because they're inseparable. I just close with this one truth in John 14. When Jesus is with the disciples. And he says to them on that, that last day before he's betrayed. In the upper room discourse. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So it's through Jesus that you, you go to the Father and, and thus, that's why you see if you deny Jesus, you deny the Father because you don't have any access to the Father because it comes through Jesus. And then he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and seen him. Right? You see me, you've seen the Father. It's kind of, there's this close connection. You just read through John. There's this close connection in Jesus. And I just say the imperativeness. Do you know Jesus? John is saying this, that you do know Jesus. You know about Jesus. He died as a sinless sacrifice so that we might live through Him. And if, if you don't know Him, if maybe you've been pretending for a long time, I just encourage you to, to come to Jesus. I, I saw one of those short three-minute videos on, on YouTube just kind of bouncing around where basically someone gave the testimony of being a leader in a church for years. Didn't know Jesus. Then he came to know Jesus. And that may be... Somebody, what a tragic thing. We preached through John. We preached through John chapter 2, verse 19, about them going out from us, but they were not really of us, and we have some people who are not of us. What a tragedy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, God, be with us. Father, that you would expose hearts where hearts need to be exposed. God, that you would comfort hearts where hearts need to be comforted. Oh, God, show your grace to us. We pray. We, we need your grace. We need your spirit to come and help. Thank you for your anointing, God, that I, 
I can rest easy tonight knowing that your word is proclaimed and that it will resonate in the hearts that have the anointing. And Father, where that anointing doesn't resonate, I pray, oh God, that you would show your great grace. Help us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.